and as Sophie of Wessex came over to shake my hand and I had to curtsy, my heel like fell into the floor and I yanked her and nearly pulled over a member of the royal family on top of me onto the grass. And luckily, because she works out, she's like a keen rower, her abdominals were so strong that she just grabbed me and was like, oopsie. Hello, this is your host, Graham Rooney, and welcome to A Performer, A Paint, and a pod. The podcast where I take you down the pub and we meet a performer, have a drink and find out the tiddly truth you only get in a pub. I'll be chatting to fantastic performers at all different points of their careers, discussing where they've come from, career-defining moments and, of course, guilty pleasures. All whilst having a laugh and getting a wee bit pissed. Fancy a pint with a pop star? A whiskey with your West End idol? Or a mojito with a magician? Then join me down the pub. So, without further ado, let's head down to the local and see which one of the nation's top performers is in there tonight. Pint please, mate. Thank you very much. This week, I go for a pint with... TV presenter and Radio 1 DJ, Ariel Free. She's had quite the diverse career, taking her everywhere, including appearing in Harry Potter, presenting children's TV, DJing at huge festivals, and finally, her own show on Radio 1. Ariel Free, hello and welcome to a performer, a pint and a pod. How are you? I'm good, how are you? Do you have a pint? I do, I do. Exactly. It's normally my question. Well, no, it's just like it's so inviting, isn't it? Like nothing better on a hot summer's day than like ice cold pint. But actually today I'm going to be well behaved. I'm not going to have one. I'm currently drinking loads of water because I had a weekend camping and I've had enough beer for a long time. <laughs> this is the difference of uh, having a presenter on uh-huh. uh, to to an actor Okay. Uh, and like straight away you were asking me oh, no. like, you were asking me about me and okay I mean I've got I've got I've got myself like a nice pint of Copperberg you oh. know that's a nice refreshing summary summary drink I yeah, feel I don't but, do but, but you're not drinking at all I'm not drinking at all I had too, so much rosé and beer at the weekend I got an absolute bargain and on my trip camping we found a 24 slab for nine pounds of Asahi beer uh, get that as your sponsor for the podcast if you want <laughs> and, then, and it was just quite shameful, like dropping off the recycling, the clear recycling bag at the campsite, like recycling bins, because basically between the three of us, we drank 24 beers and a lot of bottles of rosé. So I'm having a break, but I don't have cider. Um, so your Copperberg is not inviting to me at all. I don't like it. I had so much cider from festivals across the years that now I just can't, I can't stand the taste of it. The old, like that is the only cider I will have. Oh really? Um, yeah, because all the rest give me heartburn, like Strongbow <laughs> and all that. So, like, look, hey, if Strongbow want to advertise on this, feel free, give me a shout, and I will say the total opposite to what I've just said. <laughs> um, yeah, that's why I, I like Copperberg. It's a smooth cider. I feel not too acidic. Okay, <laughs> which pretty much was an advert there, wasn't it? That was a free advert. I can um, I can, I can stomach a strong berry cider in the morning at a festival, but that's about it. <laughs> in the in the morning, yeah. I like that. Like like... When you just you're not ready to really go in with the hard stuff yet, so you have a berry cider and just taste like you're drinking a fizzy ribena. It's great. 
See, this is it. This is why I don't do festivals at all anymore. I am too old. I'm too old to fart. Mm. I don't like camping <laughs> uh, and like waking up and when pouring rain or if it's too hot and I'm hungover. The last thing I want to be is in a bloody tent. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm just I'm way too old for it. But mm. fair play to you. And I know it's obviously it's a big part of your job, which we will get on to uh, later on in the podcast. But uh, first of all, I want to go right back, right, right back to kind of the start and uh, how how I know you. Okay. Even because yeah. um, uh, I suppose for people listening, they won't know uh, that we met on the perfumery floor, didn't we? We did indeed. That famous floor of a uh, uh, well, Harrods. Yeah. Um. In fact, <laughs> I remember the day specifically. Uh, me, you, and another Scottish girl called Lindsay, who's now is still currently my best friend. Um. But like. Let me say, I got sacked off. (laughs) We've not spoken for a decade, but Lindsay, Lindsay's still your best friend. But Lindsay, and that also as well, Lindsay went on, was a dancer on cruise ships, so she was hardly in the country. So I don't know how I managed to keep up being best pals with her, even though she spent most of the last decade traveling the world and not being in the UK. Um, But no, I still see her like really regularly. But I remember there was a day the three of us were put in the side. perfume room like kind of the one that wasn't so fancy and then we all just kind of looked at each other and went is this where like the naughty kids have been sent for the day or something um and then we pulled off as constantly chatting um so yeah it was probably not the best idea for the bosses of that brand to put us all in one room but here we are now well i mean and and we are very 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 chatty as well so we were always i mean i was i was shifted quite quickly like um what people won't know about Harrods is it's I mean it was always it was very particular uh, on how you looked and how you behaved and what so I, I felt like there was different levels echelons of where you were allowed to be yeah. depending on how you looked and how you behaved and you started off like in the white hall which is a hall I never saw because <laughs> it, it was above me like I was I was never a breed that was good enough to be in the White Hall. Oh, I so then that's it... more because you were a boy. The White Hall was always because it was more skincare focused, and it was very female skincare focused. I would say that's more because you were a boy. Well, that's just sexism mm-hmm. right there. Yeah, that's sexism. Um, so I just want to put that one. There we go, straight out there, straight away. <laughs> Five minutes in, sexism. <laughs> um, so then the next one was the black hole, and the yeah. black hole. I mean, yeah, fair play. You had to be. I mean, you had to be of a pretty high standard to be in there. Um, and I was swiftly moved on um, into the ba- handbags through the back, <laughs> uh, and then. Also, once again, swiftly moved on until I was in the stockroom because they just realised they just didn't want me seen. You know, <laughs> I was a bit like the Quasimodo of Harrods by the end. <laughs> it was just like, all right, guys, fair enough. You just don't want the customers to see me. It's okay. Well, um, also, uh, I got sacked essentially one day for having red hair. Now, I, my hair isn't naturally red. I'm quite open about that, but I've always dyed it like red copper since I was about like 18. And I was, I'd worked in Harrods for a good, I want to say like three, four years part time at this point, maybe three years. And then one day there was a big boss that just came past me and he smiled at me and he never smiled. I thought, hmm, what's he doing? And I was asked to leave the shop floor and not come back uh, because my hair was too red. And I was never allowed to work in Harrods again. The good thing is, though, look at you now. Look at you now. Mm. 
um, how life has changed. Uh, and it, <laughs> I feel that Harrods is a wonderful foundation for anyone really wanting to push themselves hard yeah. to a new place. Yeah, if you can survive that, you can survive anything. <laughs> <laughs> but going back to Harrods, like, I always remember you saying, like, very clearly saying that you were in a Harry Potter movie. But you also started out as a dancer. Is that correct? Yeah, so I suppose, like, if we're going to go right back to it, I started dancing when I was about nine and um, I somehow was quite good at it and I then from my kind of part-time <laughs> Saturday ballet school I then auditioned for Scottish Ballet Junior Associates which is like the Scottish version of like the Royal Ballet School um, to, and this is all kind of focused on ballet um, and then from that I got a place in the Dance School of Scotland which is like a full-time dance school that you go to as a high school student but you kind of um give up certain subjects so you can keep uh, your dance training so your dance training is part of like your daytime schedule at high school um and then from that I auditioned for like loads of performance schools down in London I moved down to London and went to a place called the London Studio Centre which is a bit more musical theatre less ballet focused um and then in the first year a poster went up on the wall and it was like uh, dancers needed for Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire and I was a massive Harry Potter fan but I was a first year and first years weren't allowed to audition um so I crashed audition I think there was like 700 other girls who turned up for it whatever I somehow managed to get a job and I filmed on the set I was on that set for nearly eight months if not more we were still doing like retakes a year later and I was given a more elevated part the three other girls were a bit more featured as one of those kind of four main battens that surrounded floor um, and I was Seamus's Yule Ball partner. So, and it was just the most incredible experience because that was my first job. It was a great salary. It was an amazing, like, learning platform because you're watching, like, like you know, the, the who's who of, like, uh, acting royalty in front of you every day. And, like, in between scenes that we were not needed for, I would always go on set and watch them in action because I just wanted to take it all in. I wanted to devour it. Um, and I really think I made the most of that job because... Yeah, I was just so obsessed with Harry Potter and I really, I wanted to know what scenes were being shot and I wanted to know, you know, who was playing who and just, it was just brilliant. So yeah, I really, really rate that experience and actually some of the friends I made on that show are still my friend and on that film are still my friends to this day and they've all grown up and got married and had babies and we still all keep in touch. So, so yeah, and then that was a real kind of, I mean, jumping in the deep end a little bit, I went back to uni because I felt like I needed to have a a degree because everyone told me that I needed to have a degree. Um, But then I kept working as a dancer when I went back to uni. And by the time I actually graduated, I'd done everything that I wanted to do. I'd always wanted to be in a company, I toured. I did that and I'd already done the film. I did Top of Pops and See the UK. And I danced with an amazing company called Zoo Nation. And um, I just quickly realized that I didn't want to, I was always music obsessed and that's why I always wanted to go into radio because I just wanted to be able to talk about music because I can't sing and I can't play an instrument Um, and I loved radio, radio was like my best friend growing up, I always wanted to be like Zoe Ball or um, I remember hearing Zane Lowe for the first time and and, you know like John Peel and all those people and I really like respect them and like idolise that as a job. I just didn't think I could get into it because I didn't do a radio production course at uni. I didn't have any media training and have any of that. And then I've kind of just started putting a showreel together of me presenting and would send it to like Forum Music and MTV and all this stuff. And then I did the competition for MTV and I did terribly. Um, And then, but yeah, I just kind of kept at it. And then 
Really well, that's the thing. I mean, what what I was going to say is like what what is really interesting is because you always get sort of um, questions from people, especially about presenting. I think with drama school and dancing and everything, it's like this very straightforward thing. It's like okay, so there's loads of big drama schools. You apply to one of them, you try and get in, and that's how you sort of build it. Yeah. Um, same with the dance school and stuff like that. And like you say, I mean. I think straight away we've seen a trait which has obviously worked for you. Um, that whole thing about you being a first year and them going, no, sorry, you can't audition. Yeah. You're like, well, actually, I'm going to audition. Yeah. And I'm also going to get like a better part <laughs> than than I'm even auditioning for. Yeah. Um, which is which is fantastic. Um, but also I think it's amazing that you 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 grew up, but like like wanted to be a, a dancer were an amazing dancer but then actually achieved everything that you wanted to at such a young age and then your career kind of flipped because this is the thing about when I knew you and met you is that presenting certainly like you never it wasn't like something that you talked about all the time or what was going on in your life um so that was a fantastic thing when I've seen you recently over the years pop up in quite a few things. I'm like, bloody hell. I'm like, this is fantastic. But it's also, I was like, I'm not, I'm pretty sure that wasn't um, very much on the agenda right thing when, when we knew each other at um, Harris. In fact, we did because I ended up using Lindsay in a music video for a band that I did choreography for. But that year like 2007-2008 time was when I started presenting so I don't know if you would have heard me talk about it because I didn't have a presenting job I just knew that I really wanted to try my hand at it and I knew but that's that's really that's really interesting so basically we're talking what 13 so you've had this sort of 13 year build then from the moment of you going you know what actually I think presenting is more what I want. Music or being a DJ or mm. presenting is more my yeah. area of what I want to do, yeah. and it, it's it's been like a massive like build and achievement. It's taken ages, right? I wish it hadn't taken so long. Like I was very clear that my main goal was always to be a Radio One DJ. Like I've always wanted that since I was a little kid, but never really kind of dancing just happened. You know, I, I'm yes. good at it and that, that's what, and I loved being a dancer. I still to this day love dancing my socks off in any way situation. I think it helps me with my DJing because that rhythm isn't actually there and that kind of um, fire for wanting to get people dancing and like keep people dancing is definitely from my history as a dancer. But um, yeah, like my first pilot, which is where new demo for Radio 1 was in 2011 and I didn't get the job until 2000, well, I started covering 2017 2018 but didn't get the contract until 2019 so it's an eight-year slog of constantly hammering that door and not giving up well i mean i mean i suppose that probably makes you appreciate it all the more 100 yeah like because of that i never take it for granted walking into that building and when i walk into that building i still get goosebumps and everyone always says to me why how can you do your show? It's on at 4 to 7 a.m. Like, how can you do that? Where do you get the energy from? It's like, I absolutely love my job. That's how I can do it. I well, that's it. it. If, you, if, if you're living your dream, mm. then, 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 then just, there's no problem at all. But I think what you did was, one, very brave, and two, uh, very challenging and difficult. Um, it was It's such a big shift that you did 
from Danton, which you've done since nine, and you were extremely good at it, to make that decision to really shift into the presenting world, um, it was a very, very bold one. Um, how did it begin in in the sense of what was uh, your first uh, jobs that you were getting or your first uh, auditions, and how did they go? Um, so my first, like, I, I used to use that website called Star Now. Do you remember that? Um, yes. Yeah, and um, there was always, like, voiceover jobs in there, but I never got voiceover jobs, which is really funny because I'm now was on, on like the like the UK's biggest radio station but people didn't like my voice um so I'd always go for these voice auditions where you'd send like tapes of your voice and then never hear anything back or people would ask you to make um a video of an audition and I hated doing stuff like that because I was really rubbish at um like editing and filming and things like that so for me that was really hard so there's a lot of auditions that I just didn't get around to doing I couldn't do and then I learned those skill sets and then um my first proper audition I got was pop girl tv so it was um a channel amongst the kids um tv uh channels on freeview a freeview channel that's what I'm trying to get to (laughs) um and it was interviewing pop stars like One Direction and and Justin Bieber and things like that and it was kind of like a stepping stone for me to be able to I knew that I needed to do a music tv show in order to help me get an audience that like Radio One would be interested in because their audience is young and they're music focused and you know they love like they need people who have interview skills so I, I knew I had to get all these skills that I didn't have so I did like a radio production course at the Roundhouse because they used to do this amazing program for under 25s where you could learn you could do a course for 12 weeks and it was two pounds a lesson and it was amazing because at the time I didn't have any money I was working on shop floor in Harrods and working in a bar at night time and also doing like promo jobs because as a dancer you just I wouldn't make any money really um yeah and and so I was doing like five juggling like five jobs at the same time but then yeah I got this pop girl tv show but it, it wasn't set in stone like how many shows you did a week and so some weeks I go in I get paid 50 pounds an hour for five hours work and then the next one I'd only get nothing so yeah it was really quite hard to keep on top of it financially but from that that led to me and I just kept being relentless at like applying and asking friends who were in bands to like let me interview them on camera and put and it was the kind of like the birth of the YouTube era but I just wasn't skilled enough to um make a YouTube channel I tried it and I was off and I was very self-conscious as well I just and it was I felt like I was having to do I did it because I just ticked the box. And then I kept applying to loads of agents. Um, I knew what agency I wanted to be with as a presenter, who I wanted to sit alongside, but um, which was Money Management, who I'm with now. Um, but I wasn't quite ready for them. I wasn't. I didn't have enough credits under my belt and I you know, sold the kind of uh, presenting gig. So um, I went to another agency. They got me a, I got a, They got me an audition for Scrambled, which was on ITV, which is a kids' TV show, and I knew that by doing that again I would get a younger audience for Radio 1 so that would be quite inviting to them because I could guarantee bringing them a younger audience who's grown up with me and um, so were you sort of like listening to you and listening to all of these different thing, uh, things as you're talking away were you very 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 much aware of where you were aiming for yeah. and how you were going to get 100%. there 100% I and... Radio One, and I've always been honest about it. And every interview I've ever done, when I wasn't there, and people say, oh, "What's the dream?" I'm like, "Radio One." 
for me, it's always been about being on a station where I can talk openly about music and be that curator and be the person who can guide you to finding your favorite new band or your favorite new DJ or your favorite new like track to work out to. And I'm, yeah, and there was no other. And, I, and it might have been a bit one-sided. And I might, and there's times where I definitely thought it wasn't going to happen. I've been quite honest about that in interviews. Um, you know, I was in and out of that building for a good eight years. And when I got the job, I put a big post on my Instagram about just kind of detailing that a bit so people didn't think that I'd just sprung out somewhere and, like, launched into Radio 1. Like, I wanted people to know the kind of, like, relentless, like, just just constant like ambition and constant drive and trying to manifest it and um and that it wasn't easy and that there was times when I've been on my kitchen floor crying my eyes out and, and wondering what I was going to do when it wasn't going to happen and yeah and I'm surprised it still has happened but it did well I mean I'm, to be honest I'm not surprised at all even just listening to your first sort of section a lot of people one don't have a clue how to do it uh, two don't have that drive and that like self belief, and that was the thing that listening to you, you you have real clarity on what you were aiming for, um, and how you were going to go about it. You knew what agent, you knew uh, the best things to get. Like, how was it that you kind of knew that you needed to get those young audiences? Because like that's. It's a very well thought out, almost business plan. It's not something that's the most common sense. Like it's not like no, people. It isn't like just oh, because of that. I you know, but I was just aware that. So kids TV wasn't a huge ambition of mine, but I when the audition came up, I thought, well, actually, that would be really good because one, it's on ITV. It's Saturday, Sunday morning. That's been such a huge kind of traditional stepping stone for so many broadcasters who are like, you know, our, our nation's sweethearts now, Philip Schofield. Uh, uh, Holly Willoughby, Frank Cotton, all of them. That was, you know, it's a, such a great training ground. And because of th- doing things like for me and for music, anyway, I wanted to do because it was music TV and it was music focused. And I got to do that, luckily. Um, when Scramble came up, that clash with for music. So I had to make the decision about whether I was going to move away from that and then go and be silly, and which was not something I was hugely comfortable with. But I had that skill set from when I was a dancer, just not really having, uh, being able to lose those ambitions a little bit. Um, but yeah, and actually it was amazing because it was an eight-month contract on ITV. I was getting paid for a job for eight months, which again, it was like unheard of for any sort of presenting gig. And then we went from a three-month contract to an eight-month contract, and then I ended up doing that for four years. And again, made some incredible memories with people I worked with on that, and then worked with again on other projects. So ITV are hugely supportive of me. And like when I made the decision to leave, they knew why it was the right time for me to leave. I just got the Love Island podcast and it just was, it didn't seem to fit alongside each other doing such innocent kind of kids TV and then being on a TV show or being on a podcast that's focused on TV show. That, you know, but I think, um, I think that's the thing. The thing about, um, there's loads of people like, I mean, literally you could go through name after name after name, but even just go straight away at the biggest presenting names in the country right now, which is Ant and Deck, mm-hmm. and they came from children's TV yeah. presenting. Yeah, It's also honing your skills. The thing about children's TV presenting is there's a greater, there's a greater scope to make mistakes and be better and try things. And then once you go into adult TV, then it's like, right, I really know what I'm doing. I know how to use the cameras. Yeah. And I know how to... I know how to um, I know how to... We used to do eight episodes in a week's filming on Scramble. It wasn't live. And that, like, being able to, like, take, like, 
you get the script the Monday that you arrive on set. The next day, you're, you're, and you do a half day rehearsal, and then, then you're expected to know your lines like by the next day. So that training is like we would start the new season because we always had summers off, like because it's always on term time. We would start like the season just like, oh, like how do I do this again? How do I remember like 205 pages of script in like less than 10 hours? But then you suddenly by the end of the se- like the series, you're like, wow, like you could give me a script and I could read it and I could like regurgitate it word for word and perform it and make it sound exciting. Do you know what I mean? It's like that that kind of training is just yeah, it's unheard of. So and it's such a shame that kids TV really isn't like around that much anymore because like that's one of the only kids TV that I think still makes new shows apart from Milkshake and yeah and also the kids TV world's like a really supportive world so like they have the kids BAFTAs um and um I've been really lucky to kind of work alongside them and then last um last November um I got to present the awards alongside some amazing talent that uh like they've come from blue peter sam is who did scrambled with me um so yeah that was amazing i got to present an actual bafta award ceremony from doing this tv which is just like mental so well that like you say though um it's it's because they know that, that, that you're a brilliant presenter like you've had years of experience uh and they can trust you and you trust yourself to then do that mm. you know um, like you say, it was um, very, very challenging. What the kids' television is like, I think sometimes people watch kids' television and they don't think too much of the skills that the presenters are actually bringing to it. But in fact, there's a lot the of skill and no, a lot of hard work. You can't take yourself too seriously doing kids' TV. Like, you have to get gunged and you have to get smacked in the face of like custard pies and you have to dress up like characters. I was once the dastardly dinner lady who was like this kind of like evil like dinner lady who used to attack people with turkey like twizzlers like it's just bonkers but because of that I now just don't have that filter of worrying what people think about me so if I need to do something stupid on radio one and do something it doesn't faze me at all I don't get embarrassed or shy about it whereas I definitely think before scrambled I was too self-conscious I was too aware and then I think that's also helped my radio skills because the reason people enjoy people on the radios because they're relatable or they, they have, you know, they can talk to you about every, anything. I'm like, I always say I'm too much of an oversharer. Like people know my entire life, but that's, is you know, radio is like a conversation down the pub with your friends. I was like, like now, you know, chatting over um, whatever kind of technology this is, but it's like, I was just in the pub with a pint. That's what radio should be like. And you have to be so much comfortable. You have to be so comfortable in your skin to make it sound like that, to make it not sound like you are presenting a show. Does that make sense? Oh no, definitely, and I think um, a lot of the time when you you see people when they're starting out and they're and, and presenting and stuff, it is exactly like that, exactly like hi and I welcome to the show. Yeah. <laughs> and like it's so like you see it in kids TV quite a lot as well, where people I used to uh, best one cat best where you're the comedy and cabaret tent, you always had kids um comedy in it and kids at entertainment and you see these shows that would turn up and they would just patronize these children so much I thought gosh that's not how you that's not how you present to children you got to become their mate you got to be in with them you've got to make them feel like they're part of the gang you don't go hi kids how are you and it's like it's just so like you know what I mean (laughs) um yeah I've really learned I definitely like picked up so many skills from various places and like festivals I had to 
do a link in front of 50,000 people on the main stage at festival one year and I think that definitely gave me a skill set of not being phased by massive crowds not, yeah. and not crapping yourself yeah exactly <laughs> 50,000 people. Mm. And I had to tell them that Buster Rhymes wasn't coming to stage anymore. <laughs> that he'd cancelled. And um, it was basically just 50,000 people. Well, actually, no, so 50,000 was at um, Glastonbury and I had to tell them Toots and the Maytals weren't coming, even though they'd been, like, told, told us. They basically let, left it until five minutes before their set was about to start to say, oh, actually, we're not coming now. So I had to go on stage and, yeah, tell 50,000 people. And it was going to be, like, their 50th, like, show ever that they'd done at Glastonbury. So it's going to be a massive thing. It's huge crowd. And everyone just had to sat and booed me, which was lovely. Um, I was about to say, it sounds like they, like you're the person that they just throw out there. Oh, definitely, to be like- yeah. And you've got to be able to do it in a way that you can kind of, like, do you know that people call it that shit sandwich thing? Like, you have to do the shit sandwich. Like, right, guys, I'm really sorry to see Buster Rhymes and get his flight from New York, but don't worry, the avalanches are going to be coming on 20 minutes early. And everyone just goes, <laughs> Thanks, guys, I'll see you soon. Yeah, because those 50,000 drunken Buster Rhymes fans oh aren't going to see through a shit yeah, sandwich. The, the ones, there was definitely a lot of people who tried to throw their pints at me on stage, and I was like, bye! um so yeah well talking about the festival because obviously we talked about scrambled there and scrambled is a big big part of your life Mm -hmm. i think you did that for what was it four years um um, which i mean it is it's it's amazing an amazing job and a a great uh well it's obviously given you a great foundation to go out and get pints thrown at you um after being gunged then you know yeah have a few pints that's nothing nothing um but with the festivals i mean festival you do loads of festivals now don't you um what would what what would you say is your favorite festival and the favorite job that you've done um at one of them i mean i'm really lucky to be able to glass them every year um i got So I used to do the main stage comparing at Bestival and Camp Bestival. And that's also where I kind of started DJing properly. So I would DJ between the acts. And I was doing Ministry of Sound Radio at the time. So I was was really learning the skills of how to to DJ there, which is just like, yeah. Um, But because of my work at Bestival, the guy who books West Holtz, he approached me and said, I would really love you to come and compare the West Holt stage, and I didn't really know much about the West Holt stage. I'd only done Glastonbury once before in 2005 when I was dancing for Fat Boy Slim. That's when he headlined the other stage, and then I went. I didn't go back again until 2013 when the Rolling Stones headlined because I was a bigger Stones fan. I was like, I can't not go and see them live, and I was really lucky to get a ticket that year. But then, yeah, I think it was like 2015, maybe my first year that I got to do West Holt's, and the lineup on that stage is just perfect. They can chuck everything at you, like. They'll put in like Loyal Carner with like Solange and Georgia Smith, but then also like throw in like the psychedelic Japanese metal band and uh, finish with like James Blake headlining on Justice, like doing this like kind of assault on the uh, the eyes and ears of this incredible like huge production of like New Rave and like big bangers. So for me, that stage, that curation there is just perfect. I love it, and I also know how lucky I am that I don't, as someone who is now obsessed with Glastonbury and has been every year since 2013 as a punter or working, I, I'm so lucky that I don't have to do that scrum for a ticket because I get a ticket from doing that job. And I think for me, I think that's my biggest, yeah, like for me, like one of the, my dreams is to do the Glastonbury coverage for the BBC. 
Um, so being able to be in there and be a part amongst that in some little small way, shape or form, I think, yeah, comparing myself to Glastonbury stage is amazing. Oh, I can't wait to, sh- to choose Glastonbury over your homeland's tea in the park. Uh, uh, I can't, I cannot believe that, you've done that. That was for BBC Scotland. It was in a studio and I actually had lied about that job. Not lied about the job, but like, the it was very it was live on BBC and so for the whole time I was completely shitting myself because <laughs> I really done like timings like you had to get timings bang on because you went into the ten o'clock news and also I was doing it alongside Clara Amphor and Angela Scallon who are both incredible broadcasters and who had done a huge amount of live TV at that point so I just spent the whole time just like trying not to cry with my own nerves and like not fuck it up basically excuse my French um but no I loved that and obviously getting to do that was amazing but um I actually think playing transmit probably holds a bigger place in my heart I got to do that last year and the crowd was so big they had to shut the stage down and it was just that I just like you can't beat a Glasgow crowd it's my hometown do you know what I mean so it was for me I, it made me cry actually like I can't believe that many people turned up and then went bonkers as they do um <laughs> well there you go you're redeeming yourself swiftly then yeah well that for me but yeah but, I mean I love doing the team park coverage and obviously I'd love to do it again with you know, do transmit coverage but actually playing it transmit was amazing like incredible but Hogmanay um, yeah and um you briefly mentioned Ministry of Sound. Mm-hmm. Now, Ministry Ministry of Sound was that a job that you you like had to audition for? Yeah, or, yeah, or yeah. Um, they approached me. I was doing Hawks and Radio, and I was kind of making a big song and dance. I did Hawks and Radio and Shoreditch Radio. Of like, so if I did a bit of Brighthouse Radio, then I went on to Shoreditch Radio, and then I went on and I ended up doing five years on and off at Hawks and Radio for free every week, and I never missed a show. And if I missed a show, I had to pre-record it. And people always say to me, oh, how did you get into radio? I'm like, you have to be tenacious and you have to be able to come up with a product yourself and create a show yourself and market it and put it out there and get it on Mixcloud and get it on Soundcloud and do it relentlessly every week. You have to interview those bands, you have to approach the PRs, you have to get those pluggers as your friends because if you don't do any of that, no one's going to choose you over someone else who has done that. Um so when I did Hawks and I was kind of making a bit of the song and dance and people had seen me on four music by that point and uh yeah they approached me and said we're looking for a female host for the drive time show you kind of your names come up quite a bit um so I went in I did a demo and I knew my dance music in and out because my brother was always a massive dance head and I was I was a new rave kid alongside being an indie kid and so I did know you know my my stuff and and then yeah I got the job and actually the skills I learned on that desk, that radio desk, was what got me my job at Radio One. Because you have to learn things like riding a bed, which is where you talk over the music until you get to the vocals, then you've got to bang in the vocals so that you crash in the vocals, and then you've got to do back timings. And you've got to use an economy of words on radio as well. You can tell, there's a way of telling a story how you would maybe, like, I don't know, it's just you can say a story without having to say a thousand words to get to the punchline, do you know what I mean? Yeah. because it was so fast paced with the beats that you were kind of talking up to and the, tra- the tracks that we were playing I just really learned the skill set of talking like 
boom, 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 boom. So my show has always been quite rhythmical. And when I went back in to start piloting again at Radio One, I remember just saying to me, oh, you're much better than you were before. Because suddenly I had the skills of how to run a desk. Because when you go in to do a radio pilot, you have to know how to run a desk. When I did my first Radio One pilot, I didn't know how to run a desk. I didn't know. I had no radio techers at all. I said when I got the job, I was like, I'd hate to hear that first pilot. And then the big boss sent it to me. And he was like, happy Friday. And I was um, see when I hear it, I'm like, oh, and like, and Beyonce this and Maccabees that. And I just talk about Maccabees for seven minutes. It's like no one wants to hear anyone talk about anything for seven minutes. Put a bloody song on. <laughs> but, <laughs> but the thing is, right, listening to you. Um, now I'm just gonna ask, like, being a total radio novice, yeah. like you know. I, my my technology skills are limited. Uh, I'm like kind of good with the little things I know, but you listen to people on the radio. You don't know. You know that they've got producers there. You hear them mention it and that. But how much they are doing themselves? How much are you presenting? And how much technically? have you got going on? So I run the whole desk throughout my entire show. Um, So I suppose I can go through like the kind of my routine with my producer. So I will, I have like a radio chat kind of like folder on my phone. So if I see anything funny, I'll write it down or think things like something I want to talk about. And it can be the most random subject. I remember talking about, what did I mention at the weekend? Oh, that I fell asleep getting my my most recent tattoo. And it's apparently one of the um, most sore parts of the body to get tattoos like on the underarm like my the tattoos is like I've seen grown men cry but I was so hungover that I passed out fell asleep (laughs) (laughs) but then it caused this massive reaction the text people going there's no way you fell asleep I've had that tattoo there and oh it kills and like you know like a 45 year old trucker going I've had that there's no way you fell asleep there's no way I mean things like that so and that's, it's so interesting to see what people react to, what they don't. And, and and you're not necessarily doing a show that you're asking people to get in touch. But when you have that conversation that someone goes, oh, well, I remember when I got that tattoo and I got my tattoo on my finger and it hurts so much. There's no way. Do you know what I mean? It's just that point of like being relatable. But in the studio, so, my, so I will send my kind of what I want to talk about on my show of the weekend to my producer he'll kind of go through it and say yeah I think this is good and actually maybe we can find it this way and we'll come up with ways to kind of just make it sound interesting and not just sound like um you know like just be a bit more prepared and I have a few radio features that I need to kind of get songs together for and then also my, all my free plays with the tracks that I want people to hear like new music so we do have a playlist obviously on daytime so then you have a certain amount of like free plays each show and what you want to do and then also the Saturday Sunday shows are now anthem shows which are like old classic favorite songs sing-alongs the songs that people just love to hear but don't hear often and yeah um, that's a very different energy from my Friday show because my Friday show at 4am on the first point of conversation people have heard if they've been working through the night because it's been playlists or a uh, podcasts or you know it's the first live voice they're hearing so at 4am it's so interactive because suddenly people are like morning you're like my last hour of the night <laughs> right once I've got to your show 7am once you're finished um I'm done for the day and I'm off for the weekend and like and then you have the kind of gym bunnies who touch searching in from five and then between six and seven it's people getting up for work so it's like this real kind of like you have to kind of adapt to each audience at each time and and you know also be aware that it's a certain time in the morning people don't want to hear a really slow sad song potentially because they've just got out of bed and they really need that kind of energy to get out of bed or they need that energy to get through the last hour of their 12 hour night shift you know what I mean so um and so my producer will always be on board like they're not in the studio with us at the moment because of covid they've been in the kind of live lunch but so we have to kind of like 
tap pitch into the studios and then speak to each other but we'll react to texts and like maybe he, if he sees a text message that he thinks really funny we'll get them on the phone and so that's it he'll phone them for me but other than that it's me running the desk and it's me punching in the chest but he'll be with me to kind of remind me things because you have to bang on the news at the same time because it's simulcast across the, the networks so it's one one extra video one you know um you get the same news bulletin so i have to be bang on a certain time to get that news bulletin in yeah so basically in general i mean obviously you've got a script and you've got certain songs that you're going to be playing and stuff, but you're in control of the show yeah yeah bloody hell well fair play yeah. yes, you know i just thought you were a cheery voice i'm learning all the time if i take us off air that's the thing i get so scared about um because you have to take network so you take the entire BBC Radio 1 network from one studio into your studio. And there's like a whole technical process to do it. And I really wanted to learn how to do that because I thought of any day that, because my show's early, there's been occasions where the producer slept through their alarm or the presenter slept through their alarm. So I was like, I need to have all the skill sets so should anything go wrong, you know? Um, and my biggest fear is like taking us off air or swearing. I did swear once by accident. I didn't realise it was a swear word. Um <laughs> You didn't, you didn't realise? Yeah, what what, 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 what was the swear word? I said, oh, she just wants to go out and get pissed with her mates, like, drinking. Um, but pissed yeah. is in the it's in the Oxford Dictionary as a swear word. It's a vulgar word. It's deemed a medium medium, medium vulgar word. So um, so it's, 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 it's on the list of swear words. So, and I didn't realise this. And my producer just looked at me with shock when I said it and offer. And then I was just like, and then banged the chat. And he went, you can't say that. And I was like, what? You can't say that. And I was like, Why? And they're like, piss is a swear word. And I was like, is it? And he's like, so good job you didn't say pissed off because actually that's even more of a like kind of like derogatory joke. So I was like, my God. So then I had to go on and apologize because obviously people are you know, offended by bad language. Yeah. And actually what was really interesting to see was that no one complained about me swearing or saying piss. And then when I said, I'm really sorry if you're offended by that language before that track. And then I do apologize. It was my fault. I take full responsibility. I will make sure it won't happen again. Um, and then I just got loads of text messages going, did you just have to apologise for saying the word pissed? <laughs> like laughing. And I was like, okay, fine. I know my audience. Because I'm kind of like, my show's called The Free Hours. So we do kind of rebel against the normal um, like schedule and things like that. And we kind of play on that a bit. Um, so people like kind of getting involved in that and that being the kind of part of the rebel crew, the early morning breakfast rebel crew. So yeah, it was um, but a lesson learned. And oh my gosh, I'm petrified. Never. Um, I was on air actually when we were doing the treasure hunt around the UK and basically it was a golden ticket to five festivals that would get you into Glastonbury, Reading and Leeds, Creamfield, uh, I can't remember what the other one was and we there was four tickets hidden, one in Ireland, one in Scotland, one in Wales and one in England and we four of us were sent out so I was in Scotland, I was hiding in Edinburgh and the, the listeners were given clues with, as to where each ticket was in each um, nation and yeah. A guy in Wales got it, and Hugh Stevens says, um, you're live on BBC Radio 1, please don't, um, please don't swear. He's like, uh, would you like to win a golden ticket to Glastonbury? The guy just went, fuck yeah! <laughs> <laughs> so it was 9am on the BBC breakfast, Radio 1 breakfast, and Hugh Stevens was like, no, please do not swear you're live, and Greg just like, sorry about that live. And it is so funny, because then actually... It made like all the newspapers. It's like, oh, man says f bomb on Radio One and Breakfast Show was five million people are tuned in live. Um, so yeah, it was hilarious. So I mean, I've never, thank God, touched wood, I've never said anything like that myself. So 
<laughs> the thing is, like, I was going to ask it. Like, I mean, normally, like, um, on this podcast, I do ask where, like, you know, if things have gone wrong mm. in your career. And I suppose you've kind of said that with the the whole uh, <laughs> uh, pissed off story because yeah. that must have caught you. And I was, so, I was so kind of, like, new as well. I was still only, like, two months into my contract. I was like, oh, no, this is not true. No, you must have properly crapped yourself on like that, that one. Yeah. Um, the thing is, I suppose with a guest, there's not really much. That's that's not you. Yeah. They, like if they just go fuck yeah, then you, you're like, oh, it's happened. It's out there. It's done. Um, all you can do is apologise and tell them to shut up. Yeah. Um, after that, has there been anything else that's like sort of gone like like a really big thing you remember in your career with something oh, gone God, really wrong? There's so many. Um, I remember I got invited to Buckingham Palace to give out the Duke of Edinburgh Awards to like students that had got the gold um badge or status and that uh you know it says please wear appropriate fit where you're gonna be in the, the Buckingham Palace like lawn in the back. And I obviously turned up in the skinniest little heels ever. And as Sophie of Wessex came over to shake my hand and I had to curtsy, my heel like fell into the floor and I yanked her and nearly pulled over a member of the royal family <laughs> on top of me onto the grass. And luckily, because she works out, she's like a keen rower. She had abdominals were so strong that she just grabbed me and was like, oopsie, and then just moved. <laughs> and I was like, a keen rower. I, I love it. I nearly just like stacked it with a bloody member of the So there was that. There was. um. Just as well it wasn't the queen, because she would have just gone right on top of you there. Yeah. I mean, what else is there? When I did. Uh... The Love Island podcast has got so many funny moments. I mean, nothing quickly comes out to my head, but um, because we're we're called the morning after, so it's a big tongue in cheek. We're obviously talking about Love Island, and we have all the um, islanders come on. Uh, yeah, and obviously a lot of them are very good looking. Um, and I'm stupidly really honest about when I'm like, oh, that one's really hot. Um, and then there was a time, so yeah, one of them that I'd been quite open about fancying just like turned up and then they were like, hi, so yeah, I've been listening to the podcast and just lit to them and I was like, wow. And I just went bright red because basically in the previous podcast, I've been like, oh my gosh, I would just marry him. Like what, I really hope he comes. And then I was just like, no, I've got to interview him in a really small confined space and not pretend that I haven't said all of this stuff about basically wanting like declaring my undying love for him um and it was just awful and awkward uh who was oh, it? I'm not telling you oh god no oh, come terrible. on no but then he laughed about it after and he's just like yeah my friends had told me that you were quite <laughs> keen <laughs> um uh what else is there oh there's just been loads um oh that time that I DJ'd I did the Brits after party for Universal and uh, before me was Mel C and I was furious that she hadn't played a Spice Girls song. So I obviously started my set with Wannabe by Spice Girls and I kind of then looked back the next day and thought that could have really gone one of two ways. Um, but luckily she found the funny side, but I don't know if I'd be that cocky to do that again. Um, and then, <laughs> oh yeah, and then the weekend, I mean, there's been times so I've, I've two years straight I tore my ankle, like ligament, basically, at uh, the first day at Bestival, and then had to spend the entire weekend hobbling around with it. And I couldn't go to, because if I didn't do the job, I didn't get paid. So I right. so I just had to go to the medical tent, get my foot wrapped up, and then just deal with the pain. And then I got back to London, and they're like, yeah, you've basically like torn a muscle and broken this and all this stuff. And I was like, great. Um, so yeah, oh, and then I was there was one that I did a festival next to 
uh, Bassey Power Station when they used to do events there, and I got the wires of the microphone so cut up um, and tripped up. I basically tied my own self up in my feet with this wire for the microphone that I then became like a kind of fish in a net and like fell backwards, but couldn't put my hands down or in time and then landed on like some broken glass and so then I had to get rushed to the medical tent and get butterfly stitches in my arse at this festival whilst I was meant to be there interviewing <laughs> all of the artists and then came back out and had to try and get all the interviews that we'd missed because I'd stupidly tricked my own self up with the microphone wire so there's been loads of occasions loads well, it was a bit of an avalanche there. Yeah. I mean, normally when I ask someone, they go, you know, there was this one Absolute time. Absolute calamity. Um, whereas, you know, you, you just wrestle with the royal family yeah. and then catch yourself like a fish and, uh, you know, yeah. get yourself put in the tent with a glass in your ass. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this is the, like, you know, that that's that's kind of the top of the bottom of all those stories, yeah. really. Um. What would you say, like, um, to, to to obviously you do you've done loads of interviews um, over your career. Um, do you, do you have a favourite interview? Was there that that you've had? Um, getting to interview Nile Rodgers is amazing. Um, he of chic fame, he of forty four billion worth of record sales. Uh, <laughs> Madonna's holiday and and David Bowie's Let's Dance. Um, yeah, just that I got to interview and it's just before he'd started it's just before he confirmed he was he'd been working with Daft Punk there was all these rumors going around and it was at Rockness 2012 I want to say and um and I everyone had asked him what's the rumors about Daft Punk are you working with Daft Punk what's we've heard about Daft Punk and I was the last person to interview him and I said I know you've been asked a thousand times but can you just give me any inclined like insight into as have you been in a studio and he was like I haven't been in a studio with Daft Punk I was like have you been anywhere else with Daft Punk and he went I have and I was like Oh, and he gave me this exclusive about how he had gone to Paris and he had gone into a hotel room with the two amazing producers at Daft Punk and Pharrell Williams and that maybe there might be a song coming out and that song ended up being Get Lucky, which is obviously a huge track. Um, and yeah, and I never forget that. And also he's so honest about his journey and his battle with cancer and how he just decided that thought, well, if I'm going to die, I want to die when I'm on the road. And so he booked all these gigs and hasn't stopped touring since and has beaten his cancer and just this incredible human being so yeah he was he's definitely my, one of my top choices him and Graham Coxon I'd say he was amazing because he was very cold at the beginning he wasn't cold he's was very shy and I suddenly kind of found a subject a topic about I think finding vinyl in Oxfam stores and suddenly he was like oh here we are um so yeah and it's so nice when you get that thing that they can open up to or warm up to and and then I got to interview Renee, Renee Zellweger this year at the BAFTAs and at the BAFTAs oh right <laughs> after she won her award that was pretty and I made her laugh I literally there's a, there's a photo of us where she is howling and I put it up on my Instagram and I said well what did you say and I went I can't remember because I was just in this like bubble of oh my god I'm interviewing Renee Zellweger oh my god and because and, I love her and I love Bridget Jones and like, I love Chicago and I love and I'd watched her as uh, Judy and I just couldn't believe that I was doing the red carpet, the official red carpet interviews at the BAFTA Film Awards and interviewing Renee Zellweger and Joaquin Phoenix. It was just a bit like, what? Oh, um, that's amazing. Yeah. I mean, yeah, Renee, Renee Zellweger is a class act. Oh, I would, uh, yeah. So adorable and she was so lovely and like, 
I still am just kind of like completely mesmerized by the whole experience. I just kind of went in and she was like laughing away and giggling and she was so happy because her mum had performed in the Royal Albert Hall. So for her to win that BAFTA at the Royal Albert Hall like had this real sentimental value to her. And I was just like, that's incredible. I just loved it. It just felt, yeah, really actually quite magical. Which is really sad to say, but yeah, no, I loved it. <laughs> it's not it's not sad to see at all what's just happened <laughs> yeah but i mean you listen to this with the start what we were talking about is me and you standing at a perfumery counter and now you're talking about like you know making rennie zellweger laugh on the red carpet yeah. you know doing the bath interviews i mean that that's huge so <laughs> of course uh, it's going to be a pinch me moment without doubt yeah 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 definitely hopefully it gets to again but we'll see so from all those amazing uh interviews um has there ever been an absolute stinker of an interview um has there? this is where you laugh you're like i'm not sure i can actually mention the person um i don't know if i have you know I've not had, I've been really lucky. I've not had anyone be too rich. I've just had people who've just given you one word answers and just can't be bothered. I once didn't get to do a gig because a certain female artist refused to go on stage and perform on time. And she went on 45 minutes late, which then meant that my one hour DJ set was cut to 15 minutes. I was meant to be headlining. Um, and then she, yeah, ends up running over into what would have been my set. So I never got to go on and DJ. And I was like, well, that's a bit rubbish, but uh, they shall rename them. But she's noted, like, her, her, oh, her card is I will is never marked. play her records in the radio, trust me. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Yep. You see, that's the thing. That You've got to make sure. Yep. Then all of a sudden, Radio One's not playing your records. Yep. And that, that's pretty big. That's pretty important <laughs> for uh, musicians. I mean, we've gone through so, so many things. Uh, and you've done so many huge things so many important things for you what was the career defining moment for you that you've had oh getting my radio one show and getting my own show like an actual slot that was created for me and I didn't take anyone else's job because I just don't think I could have been able to celebrate that as much um yeah and it's so fitting my tagline for me is like the one for the weekend which like fills my heart with so much joy and um it just and even now, like I'm nearly a year, it'll be a year anniversary on the sixth of September, and um and I just still love it, and I like I love going into that building, and I love, I just love the whole process. I feel very lucky to have actually accomplished my dream, and I think everyone always thinks you should like be striving for the next thing, and what's the next dream, and what's the next chapter, and what's that? But actually, right now, I'm quite content and just enjoying living my dream. Well, I mean, that that has always been your aim, your goal, your dream, and what who knows what might spring from it. Obviously, you're, you've, you've just had a you had a chat with Rennie Zellweger. Um, and, and you've got I mean, you've got other things uh, coming up as well, haven't you? It's not it's not as, as, as if you only do Radio One. Um, so but I do think it is fantastic when people enjoy the moment that they're in. There yeah. is a lot of people who don't. Oh, um, and, moment, and when yeah, when you've achieved something this amazing, 
then of course you'd 100 percent you should do that um so tell us a bit about uh love uh this love song show you did on bbc scotland i loved it it was so nice it was dating and music and it was musicians trying to find love in a time of tinder and left and right swipes and people yeah just online dating apps I mean this was obviously before COVID so we went in lockdown and whatnot and um and it was so sweet we, we had really young like amazingly talented musicians and artists that like got to perform as well as like take someone on a date at the end of it and now I was the one being well basically being Glasgow's Scylla Black so and I loved it because I love love so, <laughs> so it was like the perfect show to to front and also my first kind of big Saturday night entertainment show that I'd ever fronted really um so yeah I loved it it was great and um I'd love it to come back I just don't think we'd be allowed to do it because you have to have a live audience and we had a live band and you know everything's changed now hasn't it in terms of like what we can and can't film so yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. I think um, there's there's going to be a lot of TV shows. Obviously, live audience TV shows that they are going to be affected yeah. uh, quite a bit, and they'll have to switch and if if they possibly can, um, especially uh, because like I mean they're very similar to theatre, and that's uh, gone fully tits up right now. Mm. So yeah. Oh, well, there we go, Ariel. Free, that is Last Orders. Now, on this podcast, we do some quick-fire questions, so we're going to rally through them so we can go and get our last drink before the bar closes. All right? Yes, I'm ready. Here we go. Here we go. (laughs) Quick-fire, remember. So, gut reaction. First up, have you got a hidden talent? I can twerk upside down. I can twerk in a handstand. You can. <laughs> right. When when this podcast is released, I want that like put on your story. Yeah, it's a teaser video. Like, yeah, evidence must be seen of, of that hidden talent. Okay. okay. Next up, guilty pleasure. Oh, I basically restarted watching the whole of the OC at the beginning of lockdown and it will forever have a strong place in my heart. So the OC. <laughs> I watch it as well. Yeah, so. It's great. The soundtrack's so good. Um, do you have a pet hate? Uh, people who don't refill the water filter in the fridge or the ice cu- ice tray cubes in the ice trays. So Right, so it's a fridge freezer focused pet hate. Oh my hate. gosh, I hate it. Is that aimed at anyone? Do you want to name and shame right here? Shame, just have it noted. All right, okay, fair enough. If you're listening, you know who you are. (laughs) Um, Do you have a favourite presenter? Oh, yeah. Um, My favourite broadcasters are Clara Amphil, Zane Lil, Annie Mac, and I... I mean... Oh, yes. That's it. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, there'll be someone There's out so there you've forgotten. Lost, but like, I just, yeah. I mean, I love Huey Morgan as well. And Six Music, he's amazing. Um, I love Trevor Nelson. It's just an incredible broadcaster. I'm mean, like music curator. So yeah, all the big big. Okay, okay. Pick one. Pick one. Yeah. Dean Low. Zane Lowe, right, okay, there you go. The rest of you, no. second place, rubbish, Wait, sorry. sorry. Okay. <laughs> uh, when you were growing up, who was your idol? 
Sarah Cox thought she was bonkers and amazing. And I loved her and listening to her on the radio. Even when she did the breakfast show and she only lasted a couple of months in the breakfast show, I loved her. Uh, yeah, no, she is brilliant. Um, Annie from Annie, the musical. No, really? I loved Annie when I was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And finally, if you weren't a presenter, what would you want to be? I would like to own a hotel on a remote island and um, like a really kind of eco-friendly one where people would arrive and I'd make sure that they'd have the time of their lives staying at this place, complete peace and quiet, part beach parties of an evening, good food, great cocktails, and then they'd fly off home and then the next people would start would come in and they'd do the same because I just think that must be the happiest job in the world because people are just always happy on holiday, aren't they? Well, yeah, in general, yeah, no, I would say yes, in general, but the odd, you know, you, you know, you get those odd ones that complain, like the one percent, and you're like, really? Yeah, this is an amazing hotel. This is a fantastic holiday. How can you be complaining? Yeah, exactly. Uh, but yeah, no, that's a crack. That's a great shout. Very good answer. Very swift as well. Host a lovely little like chalet on a beach somewhere. Have people come and stay. Have a lovely time. All right, and here we go. Finally, would you rather be, if you if you could only have one, a TV presenter or a radio presenter? Radio presenter, 100%. <laughs> I actually don't like doing TV. I love doing radio. I don't like doing TV. I feel really uncomfortable when I do that on TV. Yeah? Really self-conscious, yeah. I just scrutinise myself completely, whereas I love being on radio, and I love list- like speaking to listeners, and I love hearing music, and I love DJing, and I love making people dance. TV, I, f- I just always feel so uncomfortable and self-conscious. Well, I'll tell you, it wasn't, even, it wasn't even difficult then. It wasn't even a difficult question. He was me thinking it might be a crunch question mm-hmm. at the end of the podcast. I'll happily die a radio presenter. <laughs> Ah, well, there we go. I tell you what, Ariel Free, you have been a superstar. So thank you very much for coming on a performer, a pint and a pod. Please tell everyone who is listening uh, when your Radio Radio 1 show is on. I'm on Fridays Um, to Sundays, 4 till 7 a.m. You can always listen back to it in a a more reasonable hour uh, on the BBC Sounds Up. And you can also find all of my DJing stuff on my SoundCloud, which is just Ariel Free. Ah, oh, fantastic. And have you got any podcasts still going that you want to yeah, give a shout out? West Dates over on BBC Sounds. That's where we get loads of people on and they tell us about their West Date situations, like people, like reality TV stars and celebrities and musicians and whatnot. Um, and uh, the Love Island podcast is always there, although Love Island is happening this summer. Um, so we will be back again next summer, which is great. But you can listen back to that if you were watching any of the series from Series 4 onwards. Um and that's it, really. I'll hopefully be back out and DJing again soon if we're all allowed to wave in the same space together. Yes. No, no, definitely. Uh, looking forward to that. And looking forward to Love Island next year oh, as well. Wait. I, 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 do, I do love Love Island. You were on, you know, on After Sun as well. well. Yeah, because I host the podcast for ITV with Ken. We always um, pop onto After Sun because we are basically the official podcast for them so we're always there to devour all the episodes and the islanders and whatnot brilliant well there you go uh friday through to sunday was it four till seven you can catch you live and then you've got worst dates podcasts as well Mm. brilliant well ariel 
Thank you very much. It's been an absolute delight catching up, mate. Oh, amazing. Um, And hopefully we can have a pint in person soon. Yes, most definitely. Finish that copper bag. That's the question. Uh... Just about. Oh, okay. <laughs> Fair enough. I was trying to time it, wait for a refill, you know. Um, but I've not had service yet. So there we go. That was Ariel Free. From Perfumery Hall to Radio 1 DJ, she's had quite a career. And what a journey in between. Getting abuse from 50,000 at a festival, rugby tackling royalty and cracking jokes with Rennie Zellweger on the red carpet. I'll be meeting fantastic performers in the pub over the next few weeks and months with career-defining moments and secrets from behind the scenes. So make sure and don't miss out by subscribing to A Performer, A Pint and A Pod and follow at Performer Pint on socials. I've been your host, Graham Rooney. Thank you for listening. Please do rate and review. I love to hear your thoughts, unless, of course, you don't like me, then please do keep them to yourself. And remember, no one likes a stingy mate at the pub. So, share the pod with friends and family. See you next week. <laughs>